Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition, where we shine the spotlight on positive developments since independence in 1962 and the way forward for Jamaica. We also highlight positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition is powered by JN Bank. My guest is Dr. Deborah Eakling Gordon, international cultural economy expert. She is the coordinator of the Cultural and Creative Industries Program at the University of the West Indies in Mona. Welcome to the program, Dr. Eakling Gordon. Thank you so much for having me, Byron. Appreciate it. Dr. Eakling Gordon, after 60 years as an independent nation, what does the future hold for Jamaica from your perspective? In other words, what is your vision for the country in the coming decades? Well, I kind of see that as two separate questions. What does the future hold? We, we get out of our future what we put in in the present. So if what we're putting in now is, um, is what we expect to yield something in the future, then I think we need to start thinking again. But in terms of a vision, which is a whole, a whole different thing that, you know, an, an envisioning process, which looks to the future, which kind of um, aspires to a particular uh, end. Um, I ground my vision in what I call decolonization 2.0. Well, in 2020, I was calling it decolonization 2.0. But now I think we're more into decolonization 4.0. Um, and 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 what's that? That is that's really an aspiration. Um, a lot of people think about decolonization as something that you know happened in the past in the 1960s and 70s when we were trying to free ourselves of the the, the vestiges of colonization. But I want to suggest that 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 my vision for Jamaica for the future is grounded in a decolonization process that is causing us to shape our society in the way that we want it for the future. It's about dropping off some of the things um, that existed, that exist, that have existed as, as we have grown. It's about making a definitive plan for our future. And I'm not talking about a, a vision 2030 that you know kind of limps along. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking about being bold and clear about you know, the, the philosophy of where we're going and then working from there. I'm talking about a technology-driven um, existence uh, and, a, and also a, um, an existence that is planned based on research. So it's data-driven and evidence-based. Um, I, 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 I envisage for the future and hope for the future, um, a kind of e um, a more egalitarian existence. Um, so, I, I mean, it's, it kind of sounds like, like, like heaven on earth, eh? Before you, but, go, any before you go any further, <laughs> Deb, why, why would you then call that, I'm curious, why do you call that process decolonization? Is it, but, that, is it that that experience is preventing us from, from dropping off and picking up those things you're suggesting? Um, I, I think we have carried a lot of baggage with us. 
uh, that that have, that is grounded, you know, in 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 the whole colonial process, and has affected our psyche. Uh, the the work of my father has 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 influenced me a great deal. Um, and it, you know, if you look at his work, you will see where he very clearly articulates an argument about the, the impact of colonialization um, and colonialism on, on our present day psyche. And I think it's a matter of, of what, you know, kind of Bob Marley, um, it, it's where um, emancipate yourself from mental slavery meets every man have a right to um, decide his own destiny. If I am mm -hmm. to quote two of Bob mm -hmm. Marley's um, songs. So I think that there is, there is a deep anti-colonial sentiment um, in, in my vision. I think there, I also believe that there is um, an, an important notion of reparations, but I am not thinking about reparations going, you know, kind of expecting to be given anything physical and tangible. It's due, but I'm talking about reparation in the context of repair, of repairing a damaged society. It's, I mean, it, it's clear when, when remedial actions have to be taken by the um, broadcasting commission in a way that it has been in the last couple of weeks. It's it's an it's an act. It's a desperate act to kind of regain control in the um, in the context of the things that are happening. And I've, I am in full agreement with it. Um, it's just that the, my vision for the future means that we really have to stop in the present and reframe um the direction that we're taking clearly right and I, I am there with you because we really are at a, a crossroad overused, yeah. overused cliche but we are at a we're at a spot where looking at what's happening where we are now and then decide where are we going and how we're going to get there so i mean i'm i'm interested to hear you spell out um some of the things you want us to drop off <laughs> from the from the old the old colonization and current process and some of the things you want us to pick up mm. you know if you can spell out those some more okay let's so first of all um i have a kind of a, a five frame notion that 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 i i kind of i, I work with that speaks to the development of a culture or the, um, com the composite of a culture. Their philosophy, ideology, economy, governance, and operational issues. And I think if we can use those broad headings to determine exactly what a direction should, our direction should be, I think we can at least start to frame a plan. Philosophically, we have we have a lot of work to do to kind of determine who we are that it, those questions of identity that you know our uh, the writers and singers and um, artists and thinkers and intellectuals have been trying to frame for us for many years in little pods and the shevans and so on i think we still have a little bit of thinking to do there are a lot of people who don't think so and think we should be moving to action but I still think that we have not clearly framed in our head the vision, and I think the whole process is grounded in praxis. 
which is of course practical applications and philosophy and merging the two. So I think we need to really sit down and have a clear philosophical view. Um, and no, that's not necessarily a kind of sexy way to move forward, but I think it's 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 an important process to kind of get through. The second I, thing is ideological. I, 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 agree, I agree with you. I agree with you because um, I think in practice we perhaps know what what Jamaicanness and Jamaica is, we see it. Yes. It really needs to be put into a philosophy. So, so every time we, 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 our athletes do something big on the world stage, we see, we see the Jamaican identity. Mm -hmm. Every time um, one of our artists busts a big song and we win Grammy and so on, we see um, a demonstration of the Jamaican identity. Every time one of our um, technocrats or um, bureaucrats get some big position across the world, we see. Right. But it has not been. So you're right. It has not been put in a philosophy. Fairly articulated. It's understood by everybody that this is what Jamaica is. So it's, it's kind of wrapped up in some of our sayings and our doings. So like when we talk about being little like what Talawa, it, it kind of encapsulated in that. But I'll give you an example. I was doing some work the other day on um, the status of the artist. So I would start trying to articulate where our artists are, how they you know, live, their work circumstances and so on. And then I, I said to myself, well, okay, how do we define artists in Jamaica? And I search and I search and I search and there's no definition. They're working on one now at the Ministry of Culture that I know to be true. And then I looked around to when other countries were looking at the role of the artist. Um, of course, status, role, and definition are three different things. And I looked in Jamaica. We talk about our productive capacity. We talk about what we make. We talk about the content of what our artists do, but we nowhere that I have found, I would love somebody to show it to me, nowhere that I have found have we spoken in this country about the role of the artist in our development process. To me, that is a huge, that's why it seems to me that we have, the, the Broadcasting Commission has to do what it is it has done in, in, this, in this month. Because the artists themselves, we have not defined for them what their roles are or our expectations are of them. They have not defined that for themselves. Cells. And so there's no kind of framework within which we know what a doctor does, we know what a nurse does, we know exactly what, how we expect them to um, deliver what they deliver. But our artists, and I'm not talking about creating a box to put them in. Mm -hmm. It's actually a liberating process to say, go and do, go and be, go and produce. But this is who you are and this is what we want from you, you know? doesn't exist. So that's the first one, philosophical, ideological. And when I talk about ideological, I talk about political ideology. We are at a, a major ideological crossroads. We are coming out of a neoliberal era and going into what is being called a post-global populist era. era. But we, we haven't even defined ourselves within the context of the neoliberal era. We haven't even accepted neoliberal, that, that we went through a process of, of neoliberalism and that it impacted who we became. We became individualist, 
we became we we, we start stop trusting government we um all of the various things that neoliberalism brings globally and you can check them off you know in the theory those things have and 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 they shaped our society and now we're here and we're moving towards this this new um kind of era we still haven't defined ourselves in terms of our ideology which is why our political parties look the same sound the same are trying to define themselves as different um are trying to kind of identify who they are and 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 why and convince us why one um is a better herring or a better barrel <laughs> um you know and and because we're, we're not clear about these ideological issues and chosen an ideological path for us america is very clear right what are they but they fight about you know the kind of challenges on on either ideological side but they're clear in terms of their their political ideology as a nation and the american dream right and now a word from our sponsors Grace has been part of some special moments over the years, helping to make them, well, more memorable, even when they're a little bit unexpected. And with 100 years of great taste behind us, you can be sure we'll be making even more moments for a hundred years to come. Grace, taste that moves you. From generation to generation, Jamaicans have depended on JN Bank to make the pride and joy of providing a safe place for their families possible. Now, with no processing fees and no down payment mortgage options, you can open the door to your own sweet home, a legacy to hand to your next generation. Visit jnbank.com to get pre-approved today. JN Bank will help you find a way. Welcome back to our podcast. It's interesting you make the point because it sounds now like the, the colonial powers are moving on. And, uh, yes. and we are we are stuck. Yes, we haven't yet resolved internally what ideology we're going to be using to go forward. While they have done their thing, done their bit to us in the past, and move on and moving ahead. Absolutely, and even even more than that, Byron, the world is now changing. So exactly. now there is a there is a new dynamic that is forming where BRICS. Um, is now kind of is is is, con is coming up in a contesting relationship with the north yeah. and we don't know where we kind of we, we kind of we we're reaching to the north and we said we're still with you you know yeah. and we're looking at bricks and saying oh this is exciting but we haven't determined where we actually fall as small island developing states yeah. so ideologically we're in a country Yes, but Deborah, nobody speaks about the South anymore. <laughs> you remember the South? <laughs> the global South, absolutely. Right. And and so the and so the push the thrust was to get the South um 
building, developing, so at least it could, um, if not much, certainly equal to the north. Yes. But I, I suppose the same thing happening you know, through the Brits. Yes, yes. Um, and but the, I think our greatest challenge is that um, we haven't, we have not identified for ourselves, and it's very clear in our in our in our foreign policy for example it's very clear that we are you know we kind of we we, we have an expedient process of ideological positioning um and I, I think it's something that we that's another thing that we need to clarify as we move towards our vision and then and that 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 um takes us directly to economics because how we frame our ideology is going to determine how our economics is framed and we know that that is based on um based based on on on, on the western constructs that are being kind of um hegemonically and i say hegemonically because we, we participate readily <laughs> you know nothing is being imposed on us that we that we haven't readily accepted but there are structures that um that 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 are proposed to us and we have we have accepted them so they our economies are going to be based again on that the experience of our um of our ideology and then the last two things are governance and operations, how we operate as individuals. So governance is how a, the government operates and manages the processes. I don't need to go there at all. I mean, clearly there are issues. Um, but then there, there's operational issues, how we as individuals, um, the decisions we make for moving forward. And at the moment we're kind of stuck in an entrepreneurship mode where where we believe that everybody needs to be an entrepreneur and everybody needs to um, become their own boss. And, and, and again, it's a part of this neoliberal thing that we haven't quite defined for ourselves, but um, we, we want to be our own boss, but we, we haven't decided to deal with the issues of our informal sector, which, which as it ends up is 50% of our, our sector, of our, of our complete economy um, over 50%. And if that is the case, then I'm not sure that informal is the right word for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we need to be rethinking that process of the informal economy. That's a part of the thinking that we need to be doing very, very seriously. How we deal with that, how we, I mean, just even the naming of it. Uh, I, again, another example that I see of this in, informal economy that, I'm not sure that people are looking at some of the trends is what I call informal media. This, the emergence of these, this, well, here we are on a podcast. Right. That is influencing individuals outside of, um, outside of the, the traditional media space. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot, there are hundreds of thousands of, of products like this that are, and, and, and many of them too may not necessarily a part of the, be a part of the formal economy frame in that. So for example, some of those that you see emerging as lives on Instagram or lives, and so, some of them have absolutely no journalistic basis. Some of mm -hmm. them ex, um, are liably thrown around you know, libelous material is thrown around from, from moment to moment, you know, but these things are emerging and they're popular. And they're popular because um, 
people see these, these individuals, these influencers emerging as thought leaders and folk heroes, people who are standing in defense of them, um, who are advocating on their behalf, you know, and, well, and agitating and saying the things that they want to say but can't say. Yeah. Informal. The, the challenge there, Deb, is that, um, as you rightly said, if it is that we, we're still defining the economy in old terms and talking mm -hmm. about formal and so on, then we won't be able, listen, this, this outburst of, um, of different um, media platforms and the creativity is actually a good thing. It's great. Somebody, somebody just need, there just need to be a broad, there seems to be a kind of a framework yes. that you're able to guide them and move them into because there are people abroad who have become millionaires just based on, it is our creativity and our innovation that is showing out there. It just absolutely more recognized, stop being called um, informal. So if we change the, the definition to how we look at and arrange the economy, they were able to harness all these, you know, yeah. and, and towards a productive end. And so I think that you're on to something in regards to just looking at what we're defining as the broad economic model. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, well kind of framed. Um, I also think that as a part of this operationalization, how we, how we operate, we really need to be clear that this thing about an information society or an information economy and so on is a very serious thing and we need to, we need to be clear about that. Um, I, I believe that from the period of neoliberal of, of liberalization in the 1990s when we sold off our um, media assets and we went through the process of diversification and so on that there has been no clear um corralling of what the broadcast or media space should look like we have not done any very clear visioning about it so we tinker we have digitization going on over um, in the big spaces. We have NIDS. We have um, you know, the Broadcasting Commission doing its thing. But there is no clear information vision that brings together all of the various issues, um, the emerging internet, the use of platform, the emergence of tools, the banking. Um, you know, all of that is based in the information framework. And uh, we, we need a plan. We need, in order to get to the vision, we need to be clear about you know, the direction we're going to take it holistically. The, um, digital literacy, media literacy, uh, many of those things kind of getting, they're, then they're the grandmas in the hills and vales who are getting scammed because, because of the, 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 the digital realities. We need to account for them too, you know? You you are you are so correct. We my local church, well you all know all the church, we got kicked on kicked on and dragged onto virtual platforms, right? In COVID. Right. <laughs> and even today, I have some church people who have not yet come on to a Zoom meeting. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, the, the furthest they have reached is, and thank God, is WhatsApp. Some haven't reached there yet. So they're really so 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 in a way, COVID has, has exposed the digital divide. Yes. And um, and, and we need to just pause, as you have been saying, just take our time now to go through where we're trying to bring 
everybody on board because things are happening with a large amount of people not there yet they don't know what is happening that's it's true. happening above their heads but there is something you said that um sparked something in my mind i understand that there needs to be a framework of how we're going to be handling the whole information thing but i believe at least we have an advantage if we plan it we could we could significantly influence the content yes content with that something we have not seriously turned our mind okay so i think there's a very practical way to do that um and and i think you know giving resources it, there's a there's a very re a reasonable way to do it and i think that is okay so we did some research and we determined that individuals in the cultural and creative industries operate through what we what we identified as pods so um we form little groups and we do little projects. And uh, so what we need to be doing is targeting the registration of pods. Now, yeah. we create, most of these pods are creating some form of content. So in registering the pods, we're registering the content. And not only that, if we now incentivize the pods and we put particular, um, we put, we, we create, we, we create rules as to exactly what is to be, be produced. So we're incentivizing content production, but we're also shaping the direction of that content production. So we say, we want things that are going to influence education. We want educational programming for early childhood at all the different levels um, that is educational and entertaining, right? Um, we want things that are going to help our farmers that um, uh, through productivity. We want things that are going to raise the consciousness about, you know, and we identify the areas. And we, in, we incentivize these activities so that we have the creators moving in that direction um, naturally because they need revenue. And if it is ready revenue and it causes them now to be um, registered and, and, and in a catchment, you can then now count them. You can now, um, you, you know, kind of, again, to use that horrible word, formalize their, their, their processes and so on. But it's about taking a practical approach to, in, in education, they call it teaching across the curriculum. So you have one particular goal and you use another, you, you, you achieve another goal in order to, to reach the, the, um, um, the original one. You, you, you direct the, the content, production but you're also directing the the content the the what the content is yeah, sure. um and incentivizing it at the same time it's really it's really just about looking up at, at what the needs are and filling them through it on a project by project basis yeah. well i'm so a holistic frame yeah i'm so happy to hear about that because i really feel that we need to put some more impetus behind our cultural output or content mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of um, potential there um the other day i was saying to somebody that our students although it's not a lot of them take the subjects but our students do very well in cape cape um creative all the kind of artistic um, um subjects we're doing mm -hmm. we're doing well in them, so I'm just saying we need to do, get that part going. And I like this idea about pods, <laughs> creative mm -hmm. pods. Mm -hmm. Not to mention if, that if we you are... think about it, I mean pods as we see them are transient. We're, we've actually published a paper that should come out anytime now. 
um, myself and uh, a colleague in Brussels, Stephanie Thomas Gilbert Roberts, and and Panta Transit. So, so Baron, you might be doing this work with, with, with Garfield in this pod, but in the next hour, you've moved on to another project with someone else. Yes. It's all economic activity. It's all, you know, creating content. It's all, you know, has its basis in, in social development and so on. And each, so instead of counting Byron as an individual, you're counting each activity that Byron is involved exactly. in as an economic um, as an economic unit. That way now you can get a clear idea of Byron's contribution then um, statistically. That makes so much sense. Listen, Doc, we could go on and on and, and you're the part of it is where I like this whole cultural thing, but we have to stop. So oh, dear. <laughs> I thank you very much, uh, Dr. Deborah Hittingod for sharing with us on the Impacting um, Jamaica program today and all the best. It was my pleasure, Baron. You have just come to the end of another episode of Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition. Do join us again for another in the series on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Spotify, Audible, Podcast Addict, or on Stitcher. Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition, is powered by JN Bank. <laughs>